Uh, you might have been reading the Irish Independent and it says school closures and nursing home visitor bans were inhumane. Neffet member breaks ranks on our COVID response. Now, it almost seemed like this was something that only happened over the weekend, but it wasn't really because Dr. Martin Cormican is a professor of bacterial or bacteriology at the University of Galway, who for many years uh, was the national clinical lead for infection control, uh, who spearheaded the HSE's effort against antibiotic uh, resistance. But last year, he was asked to address his peers in the Irish Society of Clinical Microbiologists and present his reflections on Ireland's response to the pandemic. Uh, what he delivered was a stunning paper, a stark assessment of what Ireland got right and also what they got wrong. And he believed that many of the steps that Ireland took, like the two metre social distancing, school closures, mandated mask wearing, encouraging self-testing, among others, were without solid evidence based at the time and said Neffet, uh, and he said so in the Neffet meetings, uh, and other missteps have only become obvious in the rearview mirror, according to what he said. Now, at the time, you may remember, of course, it's hard to remember because I think COVID affected our memories, uh, but certainly the, the lockdowns, because I only said to Jane this morning, you know, that, that, that anniversary of, you know, when they stood at the steps, of course, and told us all, you know, that there was going to be lockdowns and, you know, over 100,000 people would die, which thankfully never happened. When was that? And I, I'm kind of thinking, was it two years ago? Was it three years ago? But one person who did step up to the place at that time and a little bit later on after, of course, St. Patrick's Day and everything else, and when we realised it wasn't quite as bad as we thought it was going to be, was Dr. Martin Feely. And he changed the course of the national conversation when he said we'd lost perspective on the threat of the virus and needed to take a different approach at this stage of the pandemic. Uh, the brutal social and economic costs are outweighing the public health benefits, according to what he said at the time. And he called for an end to draconian restrictions to allow young people to be free again and live their life rather than just exist. Now, his controversial view came at a heavy personal cost because he lost his role as the clinical director of the Dublin Midlands Hospital Group when the HSC said his position was untenable and he was forced to resign. And he joins me on the line. Uh, Martin, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Thanks for having me. It's lovely to talk to you, Martin. And I have to say, can I just say, on a personal level, at that particular time, which must be about a year and a half ago now, I've lost track of time, I was very admirable uh, at you and the way you stood up. And I know you, you appeared on RTE at the time and many other shows at the time talking about your views of COVID-19 and how you believe we overreacted. And it seems uh, also at that time as well that Martin Comican thought the same thing and he was a member of Neffet. Did we make... A lot of mistakes, Martin. And do you think we'll make them again if the same thing happened again? I think your resume there was very comprehensive. And all the things that Martin said that we did wrong, we definitely did wrong. He's come out now and said it. I mean, the people who who were authors of the Barrington Declaration said it. I said it. So I don't think there's any doubt that what we did was wrong. It's just that it's fails to be recognised or admitted. And um, why why weren't people like you and Martin, who was on Neff, who was on the team of Neff at the time, and obviously said it at meetings that he didn't believe there was any science behind the two metre rule or the wearing of masks? And by the way, there's only recently a published paper, a gold standard published paper, has now said undisputably that masks made no difference whatsoever. Um, lockdowns made no difference whatsoever. In other words, in fact, it's probably made a difference to the fact that we now have more deaths than we've ever had. And is that even explainable, Martin, that we have 20% more deaths or excess deaths this year in eight weeks than we had last year when we were actually in lockdowns? Why do you think that's happening now? 
Well, uh, I can't give you a direct answer to that. There are loads of possible reasons and many theories, but the first thing you have to do, Niall, is if you want to solve any problem, is recognise this. And is, it, there is no or hasn't been any media reports or indeed medical outspokenness about the excess number of deaths from 21 and 22, which, as you said, is 10, 15, 20% more than there were even during the pandemic year. And no one is asking why or what's going on. Mm. There has been a little in the last two weeks um, in a couple of newspapers. So I think that's a good thing. Now, Martin hasn't addressed that. It's, it's, he just addressed the lockdown itself and what okay. was wrong. But it, but it is a very important. You asked about fixing things or correcting things. You can't possibly correct something unless you realise or accept in the first place it was wrong. Did you feel at the time, and I remember watching you on primetime one night going back, and I don't even remember when it was. Was it a year and a half ago? I've lost track of time. No, more, September 20. Okay. A did, long time ago. <laughs> did you feel, as a doctor, you know, who specialised, and you were a clinical director of the Dublin Middles Hospital, I mean, you were, a, you were a man to be, a force to be reckoned with. You knew your stuff. But did you feel like somebody shouting from the bottom of a well when you were saying that, listen, you know, under the age of 65, this virus is no more dangerous than the flu. Over the age of 65, a little bit more dangerous than the flu. But yet we were going on like it was the bubonic plague. Did you feel like you were at the bottom of a well shouting that out to people and nobody was listening to you? Well, I did. Only, it was only after I spoke out that I realised that I was on my own or in a very, very small cohort of people. And I was quite astonished that there wasn't a groundswell of medical opinion that agrees with me. So... Well, they did agree with you. They just didn't want to say it. They were afraid to lose their jobs. I'm not. Well, I hope that's true. Um, but like Martin has, he's actually come in for criticism for speaking out now, which I don't understand at all. Martin was in an extremely difficult position. Uh, he was like being part of a war council or a boardroom um, executive. Um and those decisions are made as a democracy, and you go with the democratic decision. So he had to stay in the tent and go with the decision that was made by the majority or get outside the tent. And mm. he probably he felt that he could do far more inside arguing rather than outside. No, we did ask I, Daniela Barron, and we did ask Martin to come on the show today. Martin, he's been very busy this week, and he's done a couple of interviews, but he says he wants to leave it at that, but he may come on to us next week. And, and certainly I'm not having to go at, at Martin at all because obviously he was being very honest about how he felt when he spoke and and obviously he delivered that, that stark assessment of Ireland and what we got right and what we got wrong during COVID-19. But it would be fair to ask why he didn't go public at that time. Would, would that be something that he should have done or do you think that would have been difficult for him to do at that time? Not difficult. It's a question of whether it was right or wrong. And as I said, he felt he could do more in staying inside the tent rather than outside um, mm -hmm. and maybe sway a little bit the, the, the direction it was going in. Now, maybe in retrospect, he might have been done more good by stepping outside and saying, look, I don't agree with this. Uh, you saw what happened to me when I said it didn't, didn't agree. When you were forced to resign. Over. <laughs> well, I mean, a, a very credible doctor, and I say that without giving you a big head, a very credible doctor with years' experience forced to resign for standing up and saying what you had learned. I mean, you spent years, you know, dealing with infectious diseases, well, and yet really, you were forced, to, resi forced to resign. I think the key issue is, is 
is much deeper and much more profound and much more serious than that, believe it or not, in Ireland. The key issue is that I had an opinion and uh, having an opinion is now illegal. You can't have an alternative view. You can't have an alternative opinion. And you certainly can't express it. Or if you do, you're punished. That's that's what's happened. That's the biggest ill that's befallen us as a society or as a, a medical profession, whatever you want to call it. To me, that's the mm. critical or the worrying thing. Not that, not any other aspect. That's the biggest worry that we now have, cannot speak out. I'm not sure how much... Um, Martin is going to suffer or how much criticism he's going to get uh, from within the system. It'll be interesting to see, but he's a very brave man. I think he deserves a lot of credit. And and many other doctors, by the way, not just here in Ireland, but across the UK and America, uh, would have lost their jobs or been forced to resign or their positions untenable, as it was suggested by the HSC when you lost your job. They would have been told the same thing if they spoke out. And and yet these are people who are credible, people who understood how viruses worked. So just to get back to, and I hate to go back over old ground again. <laughs> I mean, you said the restrictions were draconian. I mean, and he talks about the two metre social distancing, the closing of schools, the mandated mask wearing, encouraging self-testing, which is, you know, everybody running out and buying androgen tests and testing themselves and saying, oh, I have COVID, even though they had no symptoms. I mean... There was no solid evidence as far as he was concerned or scientific evidence behind these decisions. But yet we made them. And those decisions, I don't know about you, but I believe caused probably incalculable deaths between mental health and people not getting, for example, uh, undiagnosed cancers, all these kind of things, which could be having an effect on the excess deaths at the moment. Is that a possibility? It's more than a possibility. It's a probability. Okay. Some of the... what. I know you haven't asked me, but another individual, a professor of microbiology, mentioned in one of the articles, um, still speaks out in terms of following the science when, as Martin says, there was no science. Two of the greatest experiments that occurred, and, and they weren't man or woman devised, but they were most fantastic natural experiments you could envisage. One was Sweden, and Martin refers to Sweden. Sweden has a population of 10 million, and we have a population of five. We followed completely different pathways. Um, we didn't, they didn't close schools. They didn't have um, a ban on entertainment or going out and about. People lived their lives more or less as they wanted to live. And here, we know what happened here. But yet they did... They actually did better than we did. Martin said they did the same, but that's not true. When you look at the age profile of the two countries uh, and uh, are aware of the huge discriminatory nature of of the disease, in other words, if you were young, you were relatively okay, and it was very, very hard on the very elderly. Sweden's population, they have twenty. They had 20% over 65. We have, we have the youngest population in Europe, just about 14% over 65. So Sweden, so that was one natural experiment. So you, you don't have to go past that. You now know that lockdowns didn't work and all those draconian measures made no difference whatsoever. You don't need to go any further than that. You don't need to go fancy science or fancy statistics. That's a fact. The other thing about the age-related deaths was another natural experiment, natural experiment on the Diamond Princess and the Theodore Roosevelt. The Diamond Princess was the first boat we heard about. It was a cruise ship with a locked-in population of about 4,000 people. All 
average age over 70, as you would in a cruise ship. The Theodore Roosevelt was an aircraft carrier with 4,500 people who would obviously be a lot younger and a lot fitter and healthier. Mm. Only one person on the Theodore Roosevelt died. And in fact, it, okay, every death is terrible, but um, on the Diamond Express, on the... Diamond Princess, yep. Diamond Princess 9. Uh, we're not sure whether it's 8 or 9 or 10, but... Uh, you, you know the mortality wasn't what we were led to believe um, when we saw those images coming from Italy. So we knew very early on exactly how dangerous and how lethal this was. And no one passed any remarks on, on what I would... They were too fantastic. Okay, they weren't devised by man. They were natural experiments, but we sh- that's where you learn. That's science. Science is observing. Science isn't in a, in a laboratory with a test tube. Science is observation and learning from observation. And we never learned from those two. And they happened in February, March and April of 2000. So, so what you're saying is we, we knew from a very early point, uh, some of the videos that we've seen coming from China, by the way, the very early days, which were around this time three years ago, of people dropping dead in the streets. That never happened. Uh, and and, and we've seen nobody dropping dead in the streets. That that didn't happen in Europe. I mean, that just didn't wasn't. I don't know where those videos came from or what they were related to, but it certainly wasn't COVID-19 because it didn't affect people like that. But but in relation to what we what the evidence we did have, the evidence we had was that certainly when it was people who had gone past what we call the standard mortality rate, which is 82 to 83 years of age, yes, it was more dangerous for those people. There is no doubt about that. But for people under the age of 65, generally life should have proceeded as normal and been treated like a cold or been treated like the flu. Yeah, the, the again, as the American Declaration, as I said, let's protect the vulnerable. And we didn't. Uh, and we didn't do it in the nursing homes. Uh, and we didn't do it in our ordinary behaviour. In, in fact, we didn't protect the most vulnerable. We didn't protect the nursing homes as we should have. In relation it's, to education, I mean, Martin has a lot to say oh, about education. And he talks about there was vested interest. He said the decision to close schools was not a child-centred one. And he believed that it was driven by vested interest, that there were people who were very invested in not having schools open in relation to fears for themselves. But very little thought was put into the children. In other words, the teachers or the Department of Education themselves. In other words, the vested interest wasn't in the children. It wasn't child-centred because children were never at risk from COVID-19, really. No, you need to go back and... Um, okay, it's a long time ago, but I will never forget the the measures on the airways to absolutely terrorise the people. And I said it at the time on Matt Cooper, and I was asked directly to, I think it was deliberate, and I do think it was deliberate. That was one of the most horrendous measures or undertakings by, by whoever was driving the ship at the time, that we absolutely terrorised people. And the teachers were terrorised. Healthcare Workers were terrorised. Everybody was terrorised. We, we saw it. And when, when people are terrorised, they'll do terrible things to protect themselves. So fear, of course, fear is a great that's driver, it, yeah. isn't it, yeah, to get compliance? Yeah. You know, and, so and that's I, what we did. Some of the motorings were, were horrendous. Like um, The most outstanding one was Ronan Glenn on, on I saw him on, on television. That's right. Yeah. Saying to young people, like, your best friend is your worst enemy. Like, in the name of God, these people couldn't talk to anyone, couldn't meet anybody, and they're now told that they shouldn't go next line or near their best friend. Now, what does that do to 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds? At the time, it was my major reason for speaking out. It was concern for the youth. Mm-hmm. 
not because my children are that young, they could speak for themselves and do what they wanted. But I was involved in sport and coaching, and I saw the effect it has on these on the young people, and I thought it was just outrageous. But the idea of that and what we were told at the time was the reason we had to do that to young people uh, to stop their GAA, to stop their cinemas, to stop them going out to nightclubs, to stop them going to a pub, to stop them going to a restaurant. And when I say young people, people under the age of 40 or 50 years of age, the reason that we had to do that, even though they weren't at risk, was to protect the elderly. They were doing it for others. That's what we were told. Well, I'm not sure if it's a big um, cultural shift, Niall, uh, exactly what you've said there, that we, we sacrifice the youth and sacrifice their lives protect the old uh, elders um it's and i'm not sure if that's a new uh change in, in our culture and the same applies to lots of the measures thereafter mm-hmm. which was sacrificing livelihoods and lives uh to protect the elderly when the elderly or the at-risk could have been protected without resort to those drastic or dr- as i call them draconian measures yeah you you could have said to elderly people who figure who believe they were at risk who were maybe less healthier than some other elderly people, you could have said to them, well, listen, if you feel that you're in a, a group that would be at risk and, and explain the at-risk group, well, then you would be best to cocoon yourself. And and that would have been the best advice to give to people at the time, I suppose. But people would have done that naturally. People did that in Sweden. Like, common mm. sense would tell people to do that. Mm-hmm. To take precautions. Yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah. And and the idea of locking, you know, five-year-old Johnny up or telling five-year-old Johnny or 15-year-old or GA player, Paddy or Mary, that you shouldn't go out or you shouldn't meet anybody to protect somebody who's 90 years of age didn't make any real sense to it. It didn't. What it's still a complete mystery to me is to, OK, this happened in Ireland. You might look at it in isolation and say it's a very strange behaviour by that country, but it happened in every country, as I've said, in the Western world anyway, apart from Sweden. That was the only country that decided to do it, plough its own furrow and do its own thing and did infinitely better than the rest of us. What were your feeling because on masks, by the way? Because he mentions, uh, <laughs> Martin Cormack had mentioned, he said he did attempt to swerve the ship. That was an effort. He is on record as having voted against the mask mandate, asking the chairman of the expert advisor group to record his uh, dissent based on his view that there was no evidence to support the widespread use of face coverings. This was the most bizarre <laughs> thing ever. So Neffet said at the start... Ma- wearing masks made no sense. This is what they said themselves at the start, right? You had Luke O'Neill, of course, on the Late Late Show, suggesting that anybody who wore a mask was uh, watching too many horror movies. And then suddenly Luke O'Neill changed his mind. Um, now you have now a published paper, a gold standard published paper and a massive amount of research on it and only released, I think, about three weeks ago that says that there was absolutely no reason to wear masks, that they made little or no difference whatsoever based on the way we wore them, of course, fiddling with them and messing with them and, you know, and and, and basically they, those masks were fairly useless, to be honest with you. So there was absolutely no point in it and it didn't make any difference to the numbers whatsoever. So why do you think this back and forwarding in relation to masks. And why do you think, was it an aesthetic thing? Was it to make it look like we were doing something? Well, there are a number of theories, but yes, maybe the mask wearing is one of the manifestations of trying to get the population to heal and do what they're told for some bizarre reason. But from a very early stage, there was a study carried out in Denmark which showed masks were a waste of time, and that was very, very early on. So <clears throat> masks no more than stop of people crossing the bridge going from Leash to Offaly or Westmead. Uh, like, they were all so nonsensical. Uh, somewhere, as I think Martin mentioned in the article, 
you know, they were funny if they weren't so sad. Like, they were absolutely outrageous, uh, some of the things. And Mass was just one of them. The nine euro meal, the other nine euro, the substantial <laughs> meal going to a pub, the nine euro meal, like COVID knew how much you spent. Uh, the nine euro meal was another one of those nonsensical, <laughs> silly things that we come up with. Look, there were a lot of, of, of amusing things, like Luke O'Neill wandering around a, um, a studio in a balloon. Like That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> or him yeah. and Sa- Sam McConkie with sewing machines making masks on television, on national television. <laughs> yeah, the other, the other, I thought, highly amusing thing was, was uh, Claire Byrne had uh, the uh, first Irish, well, the first Republican, the Repu- Republic of Ireland um individual to, to to scale Mount Everest. Um Pat Falvey. They had to get someone with Pat Falvey's experience on on the show to tell Irish people how to deal with rain and wind if they were dining outside, like, you know, put mm. on a woolly jumper and wear a raincoat and well it's like we needed Pat Falvey to tell us that. Like how ridiculous did it get when the Irish people don't know how to deal with a shower rain. Like it's a daft <laughs> And and, and- so I suppose there was a big study done, I think, in Pennsylvania in America in relation to what they called incalculable deaths. Silly things like, for example, during lockdowns, people's eating habits may have changed. That in turn would have changed their health. You know, people who didn't get a knee operation they were due to get or a hip operation they were due to get. All those things shorten people's lives. So those lives seemed to, seemingly were unimportant during COVID, but now they are important again. And this will create a, lo- a larger amount of excess deaths going forward, maybe over the next 15 or 20 years, particularly to people over the age of 65. So I suppose you, you would agree with that. Well, the excess deaths is a major concern now, as I think we've said. What's, people talk about individuals as, as units. We shouldn't. We're looking at it completely um, incorrectly in that if someone of 82, as you said, died from COVID or during COVID, um, they may have lost six months or a year of life, which they would naturally have had otherwise. Someone dying at 50 has lost 40 years of life. So that's 40 years lost as opposed to one or two years. So mm. the, the excess deaths now are in much younger people. So the actual loss of life now is infinitely more than was ever lost during and because of COVID, but nobody is asking what in the name of God is going on and why why is this happening and is there something we should be doing? In relation to finally our immune systems, because we weren't mingling and because particularly children weren't with each other, I mean, we love seeing children with snotty noses from the age of zero to nine because <laughs> my mother always said, get them out there, get them dirty, get them. She remember that the, the old days your mother would send you to a party with somebody with chicken pox to make sure you got it. So those, those we missed out on a lot of that. Has that damaged the immune systems of people? Is that part of the reason why as well? Again, I'm not an, an immunologist. I've done a little of it, but that's one of the theories, and that was one of the theories why there was a, an outbreak of RSV in, in Australia and uh, throughout Europe, I think, mm-hmm. and that we'd, young children hadn't come in contact with these, and there was a deficiency or a decreased immunity. Mm-hmm. It's possible. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, well, listen, Martin. It's been wonderful talking to you, and and I, again, I'd like to thank you for standing out. I know, I know you at the time you lost your job. Well, you and how, yeah, and how are you now, Martin? By the way, are you bothered that that you lost your job as the clinical director of the Dublin Midlands Hospital Group, or was it? Were you getting to that time of your life where you were going, "Ash, I'll take a break anyway"? 
most people thought at the time I should be gone anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, listen, enjoy every part of the rest of your life. Listen, thank you very okay, much indeed. Nice. And thank I appreciate you, you coming on the air. Thank oh, you very much indeed. Uh, Martin well, Feely, Dr. Martin Feely. Um, and you may remember Martin. He was one of those people who stood up and said what a lot of people were thinking at the time, but were afraid to say it. And there were many other doctors, by the way. Can I tell you now, and I can say this now, of course, I didn't want to get them into trouble at the time, but there were experts that we had, very reputable doctors from hospitals, professors who we had on at the air at the time, who were talking to us. And by the way, I'd like to think I was on the right side of history because I think we challenged everything on the air. We got into a bit of trouble over it every now and again, but I didn't mind. I was quite happy to do that because I, I would like to think that I never put fear into anybody because I was one of the ones that probably played it down. But there was many professors that come on the air with us. And at the time, you know, my producers, whoever they were at the time, would have been told, oh, listen, you know, make sure you say tonight afterwards that, you know, I genuinely believe that we've gone too far with all this. But they, and we'll, why don't you come on the air and say that? Oh, because, you know, yourself, you'd lose your job. And that was the way it was for many professors and doctors who genuinely believed the government were wrong in what they were doing and all the restrictions were wrong. But they didn't want to lose their job. One person who didn't care whether he lost his job was Martin Feely. And that's why I wanted to have him on today after a year and a half or nearly two years now about what he said at the time. And he was right. He was 100% right. And now we're seeing the results of that over the last eight weeks up to the end of January. In Ireland, more people, 20% more people, lost their lives than during COVID. And majority of those were respiratory viruses, including the flu. And uh, obviously one of the main ones in there as well would be cancer. Uh, some of those cancers may not have been detected during COVID, may have been detected too late. And sadly, nobody's asking the question as to why there's more people dying now. So here's what I said to Jane this morning when we were talking about it. If more people are dying now, then we're dying during COVID and we were in a lockdown. Why aren't we locked down now? Is it because we, A, well, for two reasons. It has to be one or the other. Either we don't care about people anymore or we just realise now that was a stupid thing to do, lock people down. And I think it was the latter of the two. We now realise it was a stupid thing to do. So, I did put up on Twitter the other night and I asked Tony Holohan, firstly, his reaction publicly to the article in the Irish Independent. I don't think I've received an answer. And also asking if he believes there's anything he regrets as head of Neffet at the time. Is there any regrets that he has in relation to restrictions brought in? But I didn't receive an answer to either. I've also asked publicly as well that there should be a full inquiry. We should have a full inquiry into the decisions that were made by Neffet. And if indeed, as Martin uh, Cormican says, that there was no scientific evidence to back a lot of the decisions that were made. Somebody needs to be answerable to that. Somebody needs to be answerable because if you're making decisions that have a massive effect on the population of a country, including people dying because of it, and you're making it based with no scientific evidence whatsoever or no evidence to back up that decision, well then, somebody needs to be answerable. And also, in relation to the members of NEFIT or the people making decisions, be it politicians or members of NEFIT as well. There needs to be a full inquiry as to who financially benefited from government contracts. Government contracts in relation to contact tracing, testing, PCP testing, and there's a word you haven't heard in a little while, PCP testing, allergen tests that were sold. Who was making money from it? 
And what relationship do they have to politicians or what relationship do they have to members of Neffet, if indeed any? And if they didn't, well, well and good. But if they did, we should know about it. There should be full transparency.